Okay, Ecclesiastes 3, um, we started into this a while back, uh, we took a break, but we began into chapter 3 uh, a couple of months ago and uh, talked about this first uh, section here uh, dealing with really the, uh, this issue that Solomon brings up regarding the sovereignty uh, and the, the providence of God. He begins that uh, chapter with verse 1, there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event uh, under heaven. And then he goes on to give us 14, essentially 14 pairs of opposites to just say that, um, that everything that from God's perspective, God is the one who is ordering all, all aspects of a, of a person's life and, and all of their actions and all of their activities. So in giving us these various sort of sets of opposites, beginning there in verse 2 down through uh, verse 8, uh, he's essentially, Solomon is essentially describing for us what, what God has intentionally and deliberately planned uh, for us and, and making the point that uh, God is not only the creator of all things, but he is the uh, controller of all things. Uh, we looked at in those verses uh, going up through verse 15, uh, we pulled out six, uh, six uh, principles uh, there that he gives to us. And then this last time after re- reviewing those, we uh, picked up in uh, last Sunday with verse, uh, verse 16. And, and essentially what's going on here is Solomon is, he's made the point that God is the controller of all things. And yet he's at the very same time, and he has been doing this from the beginning of this book, he's describing life as it is in the real world. He's describing the vanity of life. He's describing the fact that, that life, for those who, who are looking to be satisfied in these experiences that we go through in life, or even it being satisfied with the gifts that God has given to us, that if that's what you're looking to, to find satisfaction, you're going to come up empty. Um, because life is transient. Uh, life is, and he says this time and time again, life is vanity, and it's, and it's a word that has a number of meanings in the Old Testament, but one of those is simply a vapor, uh, that the things that we experience in life, they are, they are there for a moment. They're like that steam off of a, of a cup of coffee. It's there for a minute, and then it's, it, it immediately dissipates and goes away. So he's, he's describing the way life is in a sin-cursed world, and then he turns around in chapter 3, he starts pounding away at this fact that God is in control of all things. <laughs> so what he does beginning in verse 16 is he begins to address that dilemma, the dilemma of us saying, okay, God is in control of everything and he's perfectly fulfilling his plan and yet life has all of these dead-end streets. Life has all these things that we, if we go down these roads, they're just, it's just a dead end. And there's no lasting satisfaction. And we see the, the effects of sin in, in our lives and in the world around us. And so he, he just says, listen, if we, if we take these, tru- these truths, uh, evil exists and God is all-powerful, then we may draw the wrong conclusion. And we could say, well, if evil exists and God is all-powerful, then God must not be good. Or we could say, well, we know that evil exists because we experience that all the time. And if we believe that evil exists and yet we believe, let's say, for instance, that God is good, we might draw the wrong conclusion that God is not all-powerful. So God, God means well. He has good intentions. It's just he doesn't have the capacity to pull it off. So he's got some great thoughts. He's got some great thoughts about how to 
uh, to alleviate the suffering and the evil that we experience in life, but he just doesn't have the ability to do anything about it. And it's, so, it's, so it's sort of this, that, it's that kind of logic, really, that, that Solomon begins to address, and he brings up this issue of, of injustice. Uh, and the question is, why, why, what do we do with injustice? And why does injustice uh, seem to triumph? Why, why, did the, why, do, uh, why don't, or we could say, why don't the good guys always win? So these are just sort of the, some of the questions or the obvious objections that someone might have to the, the thought that God's, uh, God is sovereign and that he's working his plan. And so he says here in verse 16, Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. So we, we said it is, it is true. It is a true statement to tell someone, or to say a, a believer, tell a believer God has a wonderful plan for your life. If you're a believer, God does have a wonderful plan for your life. And to tell a believer, to tell really anyone, to affirm the fact that God is, is a God of justice. And yet, when we look at the world around us, we, we notice uh, very quickly that at times the cards are stacked against the innocent and against the weak. And even in the place where we would expect to find justice, uh, in the courts, a place where we would expect to find equity, we don't always find that. We find innocent people being convicted on occasion. We find certainly more prevalent would be those who are guilty, uh, who for some, because of some kind of legal loophole or whatever, um, they're able to, to avoid uh, just punishment. And so we, we see the injustice. We see, the, we see what it is. It is criminal. It is uh, wickedness, as he says here. We said that was a, a term used back in Genesis 18 to describe the inhabitants of, so- of Sodom and Gomorrah. So this injustice thing is not a light thing. Uh, it's a very serious thing. And yet, trying to understand all that, trying to put these pieces together of the fact that injustice not only exists, but in our real-time situation, it may be prevailing. <laughs> right? Injustice may be prevailing, and yet we know that the Word of God says time and time again that God is able, that God is all-powerful, that God is in control. And so Solomon gives us some counsel here. He gives us really four things, I think, that we could, we could pull out of this passage beginning in verse 16 all the way down through the end of the chapter. We looked at the first one last week, and it was just simply this, don't expect life to be fair. <laughs> Don't expect life to be fair because the world has been unfair for, for quite a long time. Um, it will continue to be that way. And the first piece of advice that Solomon basically gives to us is that we just don't need to be alarmed. A lot of times we're just alarmed at things, right? And we're alarmed about things that the scriptures have told us in advance. This is the way that it's going to be. And we act like it's a pop quiz, right? We're like... I mean, Peter, you remember when Peter, when Peter talks about suffering, and he just says, you need to remember these things, and don't be surprised when these things happen, <laughs> because this is the way that it has always been, we say, at least back to Genesis 3, right? It wasn't this way in Genesis 1 and 2, but beginning in Genesis 3, this is the way that life is. So the first thing we need to, I guess, put into our minds and to, and to think about is that when we see injustice around us or we are the recipients of unjust treatment, 
we just don't need to be surprised. We, we need to expect life to be unfair at times. So we don't need to be alarmed. Uh, we'll get to chapter 5 uh, where he talks a little bit more about this issue of injustice and, and explicitly says they're not to be shocked is the word, he, not to be astounded when we experience these things. Because we know that we're not in the Garden of Eden. That's no, no surprise. Okay? We're, we don't live in the Garden and we don't live, we're not, this isn't heaven. Okay? We're in a time period between these two things. <laughs> we're, we're on this side of Genesis 3 and we're not to the end yet. Right, I mean, the, the things that we read about in, in some of the Old Testament prophecies and the things that we certainly and very clearly read about in the book of Revelation, some of these things haven't played out yet. And so we're in this time period where we, we are living life on planet Earth under the curse of sin, and we know that this world is, is an unfair place, even though we, do, we want fairness. And, and we do in our hearts, let's just admit it, that there's something within us that longs for uh, judicial justification. There are things that happen, and in our hearts, we want it to be set right. Uh, and we mentioned some how movies play off of this. I mean, that sense of us wanting justice. There's a lot of, of popular movies through the years that have done very well just riding on the back of that theme of injustice. And, and we, 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 we'll sit there and we'll sit there and we'll watch this movie because we know at the end, right, that this thing's all going to be made be made right. So um, we don't need to expect life to be fair. Uh, by that, we don't mean that injustice and oppression aren't a big deal or that we're just supposed to get over it. Uh, we did make the point that this is a serious issue with God, that God's not vacillating on which side he wants to fall uh, on, the, on the just side or on the unjust side. Uh, God is on the side uh, of justice and he stands against injustice with all of his power. And we looked at a number of Old Testament passages, um, especially in the, in the prophets, to, to support that. So we, we should expect these things in a fallen world, and yet they, this stirs something within us. And that's what it's doing in Solomon's life. Is it When you see injustice or when you experience that, uh, in Solomon's case, there was, there was a, uh, a sense of, of sorrow and lamentation, a sense of grief um, for those who are experienced, who are the ones that are being oppressed, the ones that are being taken advantage of. Uh, there's a sense of indignation against those for, that, are, that are the perpetrators. They're the ones that are the oppressors. But then in Solomon's case, mostly what comes out in this text is really frustration, <laughs> It's, it's not so much lamentation, not so much uh, anger or indignation. It really is a frustration that Solomon could not, could not bring an end to the oppression. <laughs> so it's like you, can, you, you just realize you can only do so much. I mean, you can do all of these things, and you're not going to stop the fact that before Christ <laughs> returns that we're going to be dealing with this kind of situation. And that's a very frustrating thing for Solomon, especially, think about this, a guy that, I mean, think about when we went back to Kings and looked at Solomon's life early on and sort of the backdrop to this, this particular book, Ecclesiastes, written towards the end of Solomon's life, he's looking back on his life, but at a life that was, I mean, very prosperous guy, very influential reign, the borders of Israel had expanded. People were coming to Solomon to seek his wisdom. And yet with all that wisdom and with all that power, with all that influence, what is Solomon saying? 
I'm frustrated because I couldn't fix this problem. <laughs> In fact, we said some people actually use this particular section as an um, argument that Solomon could not have been uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes because he was in the position of having that influence and being the king. And yet he's saying that even in the courts, there's injustice as if he couldn't do anything about it. I'm saying, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't care how much power you have. I don't care how much uh, money you have. I don't care how, how vast your empire is to, to monitor and to ensure that justice is absolutely done in every case. It's an impossibility. And it's as if Solomon's frustrated that Maybe he had all that at his disposal, and yet he could not fix this, this issue. So, first thing for us, don't expect life to be fair. Principle number two, know that the justice of God will eventually prevail. Because this is where we, we, we realize this is the situation we're in, but we don't just, again, it's not, we don't act like it's a small thing, and we don't just lose hope, right? Where do we put our hope? Well, we put our hope in the fact that God is in control, and that God is a God of justice, and that eventually the justice of God will prevail. Verse 17, he says, I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. So this, this is the culminating, we said, issue of Solomon's, his appointed time. When he's, he, he mentions time all throughout this passage in chapter 3. I mean, he, he repeats it over and over again in those first eight verses, right? A time for this and a time for that. Solomon simply takes this principle that God is the one that is accomplishing his will. And there are times and seasons and the length of the seasons, all that's determined by God. And he's saying, listen, if that's true, then let's just apply this to the issue of injustice. And so basically what he's doing is he's saying, listen... There is a time for all of these things that he's already mentioned in those first, ver- first eight verses. But he's saying, well, if that is true, then there must also be a time for this. So he takes that spiritual principle that he teaches earlier in the chapter, and then he applies it to this particular issue and says that if there is a time for all these other matters, there must be a time for this, which means injustice is limited in its scope. So it's, it's, it's not just going to continue indefinitely. Right, so any any time there is an a, an experience of of injustice, he's saying that that's not going to last forever. Uh, God puts parameters on these things. Uh, he also ensures us here that injustice will ultimately again be judged; that it will not go uh, unresolved, and that the justice of God will eventually triumph. So, verse seventeen essentially shows us that Solomon believed that God would judge human beings, it's just, it's, it's the timing. <laughs> That's the issue. It's the timing of God's judgment that, that Solomon does not declare here. So it's not a matter of if, it's, 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 it's a matter of when. And nothing is forgotten by God. Now this is, again, this, this isn't a new thing, okay? This is, this is a, a truth that is repeated time and time and time and time again in Scripture, which may simply reveal to us that this is something that we forget, 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 right? We have a hard time in the moment remembering that these things in time are going to, God's going to work these things out. Uh, Let's just look at a few passages. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. 
and uh, this is just this is the song of Moses. Uh, just great. I wish we had time to go to, to read the whole thing. But uh, verse one, he says, "Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord." Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all of his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Okay, skip down a little bit, down in verse 35, uh, he says, Vengeance is mine and retribution, in due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. And he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I, I am he and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. I I I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Uh, Psalm 94. Psalm 94 is another, another uh, extended passage about God's, the fact that, that vengeance belongs to the Lord and he's a God of justice. Psalm 94, 1. O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? And again, we've pointed this out in some of our other studies, but this is the, the, the more frequent question that the psalmist ask in, in the psalms. It's not um, why are these things happening, it's how long will these things continue. <laughs> That's the more common question really in, 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 the, in the psalms. Uh, Verse 4, they pour forth words, they speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. They have said, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people, and and, and when will you understand, stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who who teaches man knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. For judgment will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his stand for me against those 
who do wickedness. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would, would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts, okay, this is what happens, right? <laughs> when we are experiencing these things, what's one of the first wrestling matches we have, right? It's, it's, it's worry. It's anxiety. It's how is this going to turn out? When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one who devises mischief by decree? They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. Uh, you could go to uh, Nahum chapter 1. We won't look at that, but uh, uh, it's about the, um, uh, the, the destruction of Nineveh, right? It's about the, because you have, and we studied both these books. We studied Nahum. We also studied Jonah. Jonah, the emphasis, I mean, God is sending this message of salvation, but the message of, of Nahum is simply this that that extension of God's mercy and compassion is not going to last forever. <laughs> if you reject the Lord, there's coming a day of judgment. And, and, and in Nahum, Nahum prophesies about this. Think about this. Our very existence, okay, in, in this world full of injustice bears witness to the fact that God is serious about sin and injustice. Because God said, if you eat, you shall surely die, right? And God was serious about sin, and God was serious about judgment. That's why we are experiencing the very things that we experience. Uh, Jude, uh, one of the first really prophets, um, all the way back in, I think it's the seventh generation from, from Adam, even he prophesied concerning judgment. Uh, Jude himself records uh, Enoch's, uh, Enoch's prophecies, excuse me, uh, was, uh, Enoch was seventh, seventh generation from Adam, but even Enoch understood future, the concept of future judgment. So the justice of God will eventually prevail. God will judge in his timing when he deems that it is fitting or when he deems that it is, it is appropriate. That may be today or that may be when each person stands before him. But rather than getting angry about injustice or, or sad about all the oppression that we see in the world, Scripture tells us that we can trust God to make things right in the end. Now, that doesn't mean that we never try to pursue justice. It doesn't mean that, we, that there's never a time for us to, to pursue those things. Uh, depending on our place in society, um, we have varying types of responsibility to fight against oppression as, as fathers and mothers, as, as pastors and elders, uh, even as, as citizens or public officials. But, but this is the thing. Unfortunately, even our best efforts, right, will not bring an end to all the oppression. There will still be violence against women and children. Police officers will still be killed in the line of duty. Business and government will still be infected with various forms of corruption. Uh, people will still abuse people. But in all of those situations and circumstances where we don't have the power or the authority or maybe even the wisdom to resolve them, God will see to it that justice is done. So God may choose to correct things within time. Um, in this life, 
but if he doesn't still, he has appointed a time when everything will be brought out. Uh, you remember in Acts chapter 17, this was a part of Paul's message uh, in Athens. He said in verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from, from the dead. So a reference to Christ. Christ will, Christ will judge and, and we live in the sure hope and, and expectation of that day. So justice will, will ultimately prevail. This is what Solomon declares. We don't need to expect life to be fair. We need to know that the justice of God will eventually prevail. Uh, the third thing that, that Solomon mentions here is that we need to remember that death levels the playing field. Okay, Death levels the playing field. Uh, you might be wondering, why, why, is, why is justice delayed? Why, why, do, why doesn't the Lord judge people right away? Well, notice what he says in verse, verse 18. I said to myself concerning the sons of men... God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. (laughs) So it's as if Solomon is saying that injustice injustice reveals a lot about us, right? When we see it, but again, especially when we are the ones that are the recipients of it, right? It reveals a lot about us. Uh, It reveals a lot about what we expect out of this life. Uh, it reveals a lot about our understanding of God's character. Uh, it reveals about where we fix our hope, right? Is, is our focus more on eternity or is our focus more on, on things that are, that are temporal uh, and the here and the now? Someone said this, that injustice can bring out a beastly quality in us. <laughs> so it's as if injustice, on one hand, it's, it's revealing our hearts. That can be a bad thing, Right? Based on some of those other passages we just looked at, it could also be providing opportunity for repentance, right? When we see these things, I mean, these things do, again, call our attention to the fact that we do live in a sin-cursed world. It calls our attention to the wickedness of man's hearts. And it's not that wickedness over there, right? That's where we tend to focus is, I can't believe that that over there is happening. (laughs) But when we see injustice, where should we be looking, right? It should always be coming back here, right? I could be doing that. That could be me, right? I mean, that, 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 that depravity that is being put on display in that situation, I'm capable of that. I'm capable of doing those things. So it's as if Solomon is saying that our present existence is a proving ground. It's a test, dem- demonstrating our true character, revealing our place in, in the world and our, and our true relationship to God for our benefit so that we learn to recognize our mortality, uh, seeing ourselves for who we really are. Verse 19, For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. So Solomon's not... Solomon isn't looking at that final sort of eternal destiny here, but he's, but he's looking at what all earthly flesh shares in common from the perspective of those who are alive 
And that is, that is to say that this is not about, this, this statement Solomon makes here is not about heaven or hell. It's, Solomon is simply saying that the ultimate fate of man and beast is the same, and that is to die. Verse 20, all go to the same place. All came from the dust and all returned to the dust, an, an allusion back to, to Genesis uh, 3.19. So again, it's just Solomon's just reminding us of, of God, the, 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 God's curse against Adam's sin. Uh, it says there in Genesis 3, By the sweat of your face you will eat, eat bread till, you're, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So all of living, living creation will die and go to the grave. Solomon's simply saying death, death is inevitable. Um, uh, people die just like animals. So death is this, this, the, the great equalizer here. So it's like... It doesn't matter if you are the one who is the perpetrator or the one that's being, right, the, the, the victim of that perpetration, right? Both of those people die. Who knows, he says, verse 21, that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth. So man's breath or physical life appears on the surface to be little different than that of an animal, but the truth is that man's soul dramatically differs in that God has made him eternal. Uh, but from a human standpoint, he's just saying from a human standpoint, a dead man and a dead dog look as if the same thing happened to them both. Um, although we know from a divine standpoint that's not the case. So experience can't help us here. So Because we just see what we're seeing, right? We're seeing the animal die. We see the, the, the human die experience alone doesn't tell us what happens. How they, we, we know how these two things are, are similar, but we don't know how they're different. We need revelation, right? We need God to tell us that there's something different. And in this verse, Solomon simply indicates that men and animals um, do not have the same experience at death, even though they both turn to dust after death. The spirit of a beast simply ceases to exist, but, the, but, the man's, but man's spirit goes to God. Uh, we see this in, in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes in verse 6. He says, Remember him, uh, the Lord, before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher, the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Uh, over in Psalm 49, that the psalmist in the in the very same psalm, in, in in verse 20 makes this statement: "Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish." Again, that's from our perspective. They die in the same way, and yet in verse 15 he made this statement: "But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me." Now, you'll also remember what Solomon said just a few lines. Uh, back before this in, in verse 11, right? That God has set eternity in the hearts of the sons of men. So unlike the beasts, we can reason, we think with self-consciousness, we can think about our own existence, uh, we understand our morality, we understand our culpability before God. Um, yet, just like Calvin, my little Chewini at home, okay, just like Calvin... I'm going to face death. You know what a Chewini is, right? It's a half Dotson, half, uh, half uh, uh, Chihuahua. I just like that you named it Calvin. Yeah. Calvin. Yeah, it's Calvin. As in John Calvin? As in John Calvin. 
or, or, or Hobbes, whatever which one you would see. <laughs> so uh, there's something about the experience of injustice that drives us to think not only about the end of those who oppress the weak and persecute the righteous and condemn the innocent, but our end as well. It, it, in other words, it reminds us, right? It reminds us that every one of us has a court date. Every one of us has a court date in heaven. We must prepare for death. Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said this, quote, Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. So death is the great equalizer. Uh, most people are terrified of death. Uh, we don't talk about it a lot in our, in our culture. Uh, people do everything that they can, it seems like, in our culture to avoid this discussion. Um, I mean, I just, it just caught my attention yesterday on the way back from Tennessee. We had this great time camping, and yet we passed more cemeteries. <laughs> it just seemed like every time I turned around, there was a cemetery or a funeral home. <laughs> I was like, it's just, just a reminder that we can go camping. We can have a great time. And, and these are good gifts, right? I mean, family and memories and all that stuff. But you know what? It's like every 15 minutes on the road, there's this reminder. It's coming. It's coming. And I passed this last funeral home, right, the one close to my house, and I just thought, I wonder if those guys ever get to go away, go, go, go camping. <laughs> because it's, there's always something going on. I mean, every day of the week. I mean, there, there's a funeral. Um, so, you know, death... Is, is the sum of all of our fears. Uh, the fear of being alone, of being abandoned, of being condemned. Um, most are scared to death to face it. Others try to laugh it off. Uh, Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Right? You know, and people will joke about it because they don't want to think about the fact that it's coming, um, but it's unavoidable. I, I pulled up this week a list of the top tw- the 20 most wicked people. Uh, found several lists, but basically the last two, cent- two, two millennia. And, and it's interesting. Caligula, Nero, Attila the Hunt. I mean, these people were, we're not talking about, like, they're not responsible for like 10 deaths or some of them 10,000. Some of them, it's like in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Uh, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, uh, Vlad Dracula, the Impaler. How would you like to have that as your... That's the, that's the, in quotes, the impaler. Uh, uh, Ivan the Terrible of Russia, Leopold II of Belgium, uh, Adolf uh, Eichmann, I guess is the way you pronounce that. He was one of the, um, the top executioners during the, um, uh, the, the, the extermination of a lot of the, the Jews. Uh, in fact, at his own, exec- his own execution by is Israel later on? He stood trial, and in, in the uh, Israeli government executed him. He said at his execution, "Quote: The death of five million Jews on my conscience gives me extraordinary satisfaction." <laughs> Man, you talk about a rude awakening. About about a minute after he said that, right? Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot uh, in Cambodia, the killing fields. Idi Amin in Uganda, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden. I just one one question: Where are they? <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> Dead. Dead. 
their bodies are dust, their souls are in hell awaiting the final judgment. Because death is the great equalizer. Uh, in fact, uh, turn over to Second Peter chapter 2. This is in the, in the context of false teachers. It was interesting what, what Peter writes here. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. So he's talking about these false teachers in the first uh, three verses. And then he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he, when he brought a flood upon the world of the, ungodly, world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having, been, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot... So it's interesting because he's, he's toggling back and forth between the theme of he's brought these forms of judgment, but in the midst of bringing those forms of judgment, he's also preserved. <laughs> so he, he, there are those, his people, that in the midst of those catastrophic events of judgment, God not only has the power to bring judgment, but he also has the power in the midst of the judgment to preserve the godly, right? So he mentions the flood, but he talks about Noah. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, but then he mentions Lot. Verse 7, if he rescued righteous Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Verse 9, then, so he's saying, if this happened and this happened, if God destroyed this but preserved him, and if God did this but preserved this person, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. So he's just using that as the, the historical backdrop, as his argument. To say, if God could do that, then doesn't, don't you think God knows in the midst of whatever you're going through as a believer? Don't you believe that God knows how to preserve you? God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and the other side, to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. <laughs> so it's just saying, nothing's, nothing's left undone here. <laughs> There's a time, right? There's a time for these things in, in God's economy and in his plan so in light of injustice don't expect life to be to be fair know that the justice of god will eventually prevail remember that death levels the playing field and then the last one here embrace and enjoy life without sinning (laughs) embrace and enjoy life in parentheses i've got without sinning verse 22 because because in this broken world it is possible to be happy right right? It is possible to have joy, right? As a believer, even though we live in this world full of injustice, it's possible to have contentment and satisfaction and pleasure and happiness. Verse 22, I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot, for who will bring him to see what will occur after him. The word lot there is a term in the Old Testament used for a gift, uh, it, it's a word that's translated as reward, lot, portion, even legacy. In, in the verbal form, it's a word that means to divide or to share. So it's like God has divided this up and he's giving you this lot in life. And this, is, this is our share. This is our portion that we handle life in such a way that we can rejoice in every circumstance. 
and that we know that everything comes from a wise father and that we know that those circumstances bring us pain and pleasure, right? It is his will for us. (laughs) It is his choice for us. And we should be glad that in the midst of pain, there is the possibility of pleasure. That even, even though injustice exists, and even though we may be the direct targets of unjust conduct, that we are to accept life, to enjoy it one day at a time, and to be satisfied, not with ourselves, but with the fact that God gives to us these things in this life. And we're to enjoy life. We're to enjoy life without sinning. What are, the, what are the more common things that people do when they see all that stuff going on around them? They spend more energy trying to figure it out. They, they, they expend more and more energy trying to understand uh, things that are, that, that are uncontrollable, things that they can't change. They spend time comparing their, their lot in life with another person's lot in life. They, they indulge in retaliation or resentment, resentment or bitterness. They disappear into some kind of a fantasy world. Right, escaping, building a dream and living out there, uh, working here but living out there, <laughs> wallowing in self-pity, talking about how wrong this was, how unfair this person acted, how someone broke their promise, how they walked away and they left. Those are some of the, the ways that we commonly respond to injustice. What are the right responses? Well, the first thing, we need to inspect our own emotional response and repent of any sinful attitudes and perspectives because we have them, right? I mean, very often we're not walking by faith. We're not repenting. We're not trusting. We need to abandon self-pity and despair. Be thankful. Be thankful to God for, for using such circumstances to humble us and to make us more dependent on Him. Uh, being faithful in present responsibilities. You know, in, in any given season... We are tempted to imagine, to think, and to speculate, and to worry about, and to mull over everything that we do not know about the times in which we find ourselves. The way, the way forward in our seasons is not found in rehearsing what we do not know, but in remaining faithful to what we do. So we don't want to spend, spend our season in life in speculation because that's, that's fruitless. I mean, it's, it's, it's like sportscasters yesterday, Right? With all the games going on, I mean, they're analyzing, they're pontificating, forecasting some sports event, but for all their talk, no one actually knows. I mean, they can do all that all day long. No one actually knows who will win until the game is played. It, it's, it's, like, it's like watching a movie, and the person next to you, is, they, 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 want to, they want to talk during the movie. Drives them crazy. They want to, and, and they're saying things like this. Oh, why is she doing that? Why is she doing that? Oh, no, what's, what's going to happen? Well, where's he going? And the response is, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. We have to wait. We have to watch the movie in order to find out, right? So when, listen, when the unknown in in your life, when the unknown taunts your mind within that season you find yourself, give yourself to the next thing in the place that you are. Pray, work. Eat, drink, enjoy your family, notice the sun, give thanks for its light, take pleasure in its gift, do the next thing, watch, wait, attend to the morning and the evening, listen to your spouse, 
Help your kids. Love one another. Take care of your home. Work. Fear the Lord. In other words, that's what you do. You don't get focused on trying to resolve all these things. You'll drive yourself crazy doing that. You, you, you stay faithful in the things that are in front of you. It just says, be productive. Trust God. Be productive. Uh, give you two quick other things here. Live by promises and not, not by explanations. Live by promises and not by explanations. Um, and identify the advantage to your disadvantage. Identify the advantage to your disadvantage. Find ways to discover advantages to your disadvantages. Look for an advantage in your circumstance and focus on those things. What is your unjust disadvantage? When are you going to replace self-pity and with courage? When are you going to stop the woe is me wine? And have you considered the impact that your message in life would have on the world around you? If you would identify those things. And remember, injustice will only have a temporary reign. So whenever we see injustice, especially acts of oppression that we are powerless to prevent, we can still pray for justice. We can cry out to God as those in Revelation cried out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? We can pray for justice, leave things in the Lord's hands, believe God's promises, and wait for God's, wait for God's timing. Okay?